When you work, you work next level. And when you play, you play next level. And when it's time to sleep, Sleep Number smart beds are designed to embrace your uniqueness, providing you with high-quality sleep every night. Sleep next level. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, the Queen Sleep Number C4 smart bed is only $15.99. Save $300, only for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Does Monday at the office feel like a storm? Not with Microsoft Copilot. That feeling when Copilot gets everyone up to speed instantly? It's sunny again. When Copilot simplifies complex data so your teams can act, that sun's shining on a beach. And when Copilot uncovers hidden insights, you're on that beach with your people and you find buried treasure. That's Microsoft Copilot. Learn more at Microsoft.com slash AI for all. They called it a protest for gun control. Their Republican colleagues called it breaking the rules of decorum. The lead starts right now. Debates and voting underway right now as Tennessee State House Republicans try to expel three State House Democrats. They protested on the State House floor in the wake of the Nashville school shooting. But should they really be kicked out of office? Plus, airspace over northern Israel shut down after rockets are intercepted, fired from Lebanon. This is just one day after Israeli police raided a mosque in Jerusalem. All of the moves sparking fears of a greater conflict. And... Luxury trips, travel on yachts, all on the dime of a Republican mega-donor. A new bombshell report alleging that Supreme Court Justice Clarence Thomas accepted it all and disclosed almost none of it. Welcome to The Lead. I'm Jake Tapper. And we start in our national lead any moment now. The Republican-controlled Tennessee State House will be voting on whether to expel three state House Democratic lawmakers. This is after those three lawmakers joined protests calling for gun reform, which disrupted activity on the state house floor. They engaged in behavior that Republicans are calling disorderly. Right now, each Democratic lawmaker is being given a chance to defend him or herself. Here is one of the lawmakers, State Representative Justin Jones, speaking in his own defense just a few minutes ago. No violence, no death threats. But simply saying that until we have action, there will be no peace or safety in our communities. They respond with the most extreme measure of expulsion, a state in which the Ku Klux Klan was founded, is now attempting another power grab by silencing the two youngest black representatives and one of the only women, Democratic women, in this body. That's what this is about. Hundreds of protesters are standing outside the Tennessee State House today in the pouring rain to stand in solidarity with the three Democratic lawmakers. If expelled, those seats would go to a special election, and those expelled state representatives would be allowed to run for those seats again. CNN's Ryan Young is in Nashville for us outside the State House. And Ryan, we're expecting lawmakers to vote on the expulsions any time now. What's the reaction outside the state house? Jake, as you can imagine, the passion that's been out here shown all day long since really early this morning, 
before first light, people were lining up here because they wanted to wait in line to get their chance to go inside so lawmakers could hear from them. Some people waited in line more than two and a half hours to get inside, and all day that passion could be heard as they surrounded this building. They told us they wanted lawmakers to hear them, not only for these three lawmakers that might be expelled, but for the children that have been killed in the last week and a half. And that's what people are sort of upset about here, Jake, that we're focusing on these lawmakers and their actions on the floor, a decorum violation. But obviously what they want to see is gun right laws in the state. So you can feel the passion here in terms of the people who arrived here and trying to get their voices heard, Jake. How historic is this? Does this take place often in the Tennessee State House? No, and this has never happened for a rules violation. And I think that's the part that has surprised so many people who've been long-term members of politics in Tennessee. Look, there's a supermajority here for the Republicans, and so they can make this happen. And in fact, a lot of people who are Democrats in the state believe today that all three members will be expelled. They think this is going to set a terrible precedent because if you can't have a sort of rules violation and it leads to someone being expelled, they think people will not want to talk. And the passion behind gun rights is something that we obviously know across the country people feel strongly about. Um, One of the things that we learned last hour is that when each member is expelled, they will be escorted from the floor at that moment, Jake. So this could happen anytime in the near future. Ryan Young outside the State House in Tennessee. Thank you so much. Let's bring in Holly McCall, the editor-in-chief of the Tennessee Lookout, as well as CNN's Jeff Zeleny here with me. Uh, in studio. And Holly, right now the three lawmakers are being given the chance to defend themselves before their colleagues. Um, what do you make of what they're saying and how they're defending themselves? I think whoever decided that Representative Justin Jones should be able to defend himself first made probably a poor choice for the prosecution. Uh, Justin Jones is an eloquent speaker. He, is a, uh, he did go to divinity school And I think he makes a very compelling argument. Uh, So I I don't think that was a good choice for the prosecution, but he's doing a masterful job of defending himself and and his right to speak on the House floor. And Jeff, House Republicans, State House Republicans brought these expulsion measures because they said the three Democrats created disruptive behavior in the House. I mean, they did. They did create disruptive behavior in the House. I guess the question is, is this really more outrageous than the six people that were murdered last week? Look, it might be disruptive behavior by... Um, sort of traditional sense. But in this day and age, it was really anything but that. It was four words. So these uh, lawmakers were uh, really screaming with bullhorns on the floor saying, um, no peace, no action, things like that. But it wasn't, uh, the House Republican leaders compared it to the insurrection on January 6th. That's crazy. It does not compare to that at all. And they could only ask some Republican members of Congress what it was like on the floor of the U.S. House of Representatives. It was was far more disruptive. No guns were drawn. So the reality here is they're trying to make an example of this. They do not want to talk about the underlying issue, of course, which is guns. So, yes, they disrupted the uh, procedure, but that's why you're gaveled down. That's why there are are, um, sort of other matters to deal with it. But it was hardly um, something as disruptive as the January 6th insurrection which is what the right's been calling it. It just does not make sense. It's yeah. just absurd. I mean, Congresswoman Marjorie Taylor Greene yelled out something to President Biden during You've the State of the so Union. Of you, you don't kick them out of Congress for it. Right. I mean, you, you know, there might maybe some punishment. Holly, um, State Representative Jones said on the House floor that this expulsion measure is targeting them in his view uh, because um, the three of them are two of the two of the youngest black representatives and one of the only women 
in the state house. Um, do others in the state house feel that way? I would say certainly every Democrat feels that way. I think there are plenty of people outside the state house who feel that way. I don't think it's any coincidence that two young black men and an outspoken woman were targeted for two reasons. Tennessee was the home where of uh, the Ku Klux Klan. It was founded here. Uh, and in fact, there's a courtroom in Tennessee that was just recently ordered to take their Klan memorabilia out. But also it is one of the homes of the civil rights movement where John Lewis, the esteemed former congressman, uh, started his career just blocks from the Capitol. And, you know, Justin Jones has been, I would say, I hate to use this analogy, but he's had a target on his back by Republicans for several years. He has been protesting about, um, you know, sort of authoritarian behavior ever since the protest of 2020 after George Floyd was killed by police in Minneapolis. And, and Jeff, um, a lot of uh, Democrats on on social media are using uh, the occasion uh, of this vote to point out how gerrymandered uh, the state house districts are in Tennessee. It's look, it's obviously a majority Republican state. No one disputes that. But it's it's not that Republican. I mean, it's like three to one in terms of uh, representation in the state house. Right. And this uh, whenever we have incidents like these, uh, it certainly shines a light on gerrymandering across the country. Uh, and there uh, is a supermajority. That's why they're able to do this. But as you said, there's not a supermajority in terms of any uh, statewide election. Uh, the reality here, though, is what the Republican leaders have done is sort of made heroes, at least in the eyes of liberals and Democrats, of these three members, and they can run for their seats again. If they indeed are expelled today, they can run in special elections. So really, this is a, a bit of a, uh, a waste of time, some people think. And again, what is not being addressed is an issue that crosses all party lines. The majority of Americans want their elected officials to do something on guns. Every poll shows that. That is not being done. This is just, you know, a procedural matter of fanning the flames. This is not you know, going to advance. The reason that they're protesting was that shooting at Covenant School. Yeah. And we just had uh, State Representative Pearson on the show yesterday, I believe, and that we're hoping to have him on again today. When I asked him what gun laws he wants, I mean, the first thing he talked about was a red flag law. That's that's hardly uh, a radical proposal. Um, let's bring in uh, Liz Crampton, a state policy pr- reporter for Politico. And Liz, Uh, These lawmakers, um, as Jeff just pointed out, they can run to fill their own seats in the special election if they are ultimately expelled. And one would think they're going to be able to raise a lot of money uh, because of how the Republicans are turning them into martyrs nationally among Democrats. That's right. This has really turned into a fundraising boom for these three Democrats. You know, there's already a GoFundMe covering their potential legal fees if they decide to challenge this lawsuit if the vote is successful. And like they're turning into into hometown heroes and Representative Gloria Johnson just told me the other day that she will run again if she believes that her constituents want to see her back in office and they would be allowed to run again. And the state constitution protects them. You know, it it states that members can't be expelled twice um, for the same offense. What, Liz, what might this mean for other state legislatures around the country? Does this create some sort of precedent? I mean, it could. That's the fear that these Democrats have stated. I mean, I just want to say that this is such an extraordinary move for its political brazenness and like truly is an unprecedented use of power. It's rare but not unusual to see expulsion proceedings like this. You know, it happens in state houses, um, but usually in cases involving like criminal charges or ethical violations. And um, a vote is the result of an internal investigation that often takes 
months or years and is always, almost always a bipartisan process. But here in Tennessee, it's, it's happened very swiftly. You know, just last week, there was the gun protest and it's been entirely partisan, which is something that we haven't seen in Tennessee or in any other state house. All right, Liz Crampton, Holly McCall, Jeff Zeleny, thanks to all of you. We're going to continue to watch this pending vote at the State House in Tennessee. We'll bring you more as it happens. Also ahead, the alarming scenes coming out of northern Israel today as that country fended off rocket attacks and closed off its own airspace. Plus, in Paris, protests against the French government's plan to raise the retirement age are turning violent. CNN's their lives. Stay with us. In our world lead, a cross-border rocket barrage not seen in nearly two decades. More than 30 rockets were fired from Lebanese territory into Israel today after back-to-back Israeli police raids at a holy site in Jerusalem, sacred to both Muslims and Jews amid overlapping religious holidays. Israel's police force beat and injured some Muslim demonstrators at the Al-Aqsa Mosque. Muslims had been barricading themselves inside. They shot fireworks at Israeli police, all to protest calls from a far-right extremist, Jewish Israeli, to bring back an ancient Passover tradition of slaughtering goats on the mosque compound, which Jews refer to as the Temple Mount. No goats have made it up so far. CNN's Hadass Gold is in northern Israel as Prime Minister Netanyahu vows to fight back. Streaking across the sky in northern Israel, dozens of rockets fired from Lebanon Thursday, according to the Israel Defense Forces, which said it intercepted most of them, but some made impact. This car hit in the Israeli town of Fasuta, and in Shlomi, the storefront of this bank was destroyed. I hear the siren, I hear the boom, I uh, was in my home. It was very, very scary. And I'm still shaking because it's... uh... Children are not supposed to see this in this age. The Lebanese army says it found these rocket launchers and rockets close to the Israeli border Thursday and is working to dismantle them. Israel has pointed the finger at Palestinian groups and doesn't think the Lebanon-based Hezbollah was responsible. The Israeli military said it would, quote, decide on the place and time of its response. Not since the war between Lebanon and Israel in 2006 have so many rockets been fired across the border a worrying sign of escalation in an already tense time for the region. Israeli police stormed the Al-Aqsa Mosque multiple times this week as Palestinians gathered for Ramadan. Footage from inside the mosque showed Israeli police beating some worshippers with batons and rifle butts. Police say they moved in after Palestinians barricaded themselves inside the mosque through rocks and set off fireworks. Jordan, the custodian of the Al-Aqsa Mosque, told CNN that it believed Thursday's rocket attacks were a response to Israeli actions at the mosque. The two are uh, obviously interconnected. Uh, We're unfortunately at the exact moment, a dangerous moment, which we've uh, worked for months to avoid, uh, which is a moment where uh, violence is erupting. As the first day of the Passover holiday came to an end, Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu called a meeting of his security cabinet. Multiple hotspots flaring up at once, just as Easter begins in this holy land, and all three main religions are supposed to be celebrating. And Jake, just in the last few minutes, that security cabinet was convened and Benjamin Netanyahu did give a short statement at the top. In part, he said, we will hit our enemies and they will pay a heavy price. 
Now, what's interesting is Israeli authorities are not directly pointing the finger at Hezbollah, instead blaming Palestinian groups. So I think we should not only potentially expect to see some sort of maybe very targeted response in Lebanon, but also we should keep we should keep in mind that there may be an even bigger response in Gaza targeting Hamas. Jake. All right, Hadass Gold in Jerusalem, thank you so much. She's in northern Israel, rather, sorry. Uh, let's bring in a former United States ambassador to Israel under Bill Clinton, Martin Indyk. He also served as special envoy for Israeli-Palestinian negotiations under President Obama. Uh, Mr. Ambassador, thanks for joining us. A top Jordanian official says Israel is, quote, making it impossible to engage, unquote, in regional cooperation uh, after the Israeli police stormed the Al-Aqsa Mosque for the second time on Wednesday. We're seeing these, these videos from social media of Israeli police force beating demonstrators. Um, I wonder if you think it unreasonable that Muslim protesters are concerned that under the current Netanyahu government that this far-right group, this religious extremist, could actually ultimately slaughter a goat on the mosque compound and, and get away with it? Well, I think it's a, it, it's a good example of the way in which tensions are really rising uh, during Ramadan and, and of course, uh, the beginning of Passover now, uh, coming together at, at this moment where both sides are engaged in, in prayer and uh, in manifesting their national uh, feelings. And I think that, that uh, the police, the Israeli police, were determined to kind of empty out the mosque of of these 400 or so young young worshippers who were staying there overnight, and uh, out of concern that that they'd come out and attack the Jews that they were escorting there the next morning, uh, not to sacrifice goats as it turns out, but to but to pray up there, which in itself is a highly controversial thing that no Israeli government uh, up until recently has been prepared to do. So you've got a real clash there, and added to that, of course, as you, as Hadass reported, we've got these rockets coming in for the first time from uh, Lebanon, uh, although it looks like they're from Hamas uh, in Lebanon. That's never been heard of before. Hamas normally is firing rockets out of Gaza, and it, it has the potential to blow it even higher because uh, Hezbollah could get involved uh, as a result of Israeli retaliation in Lebanon. Yeah. Uh, so I think it's a, it's a really dangerous situation now. Um yeah, Hezbollah, which we should note, um, not only has a presence in, in Lebanon, but is backed by Iran. Uh, so there are real risks of a, of a regional conflict here uh, beyond the borders of, of Israel um, and Gaza and, and the West Bank. This escalation, unfortunately, I have to say it's not surprising, uh, considering the, the year of unprecedented violence we've seen between Israelis and Palestinians, uh, the overlap of Passover and Ramadan, as you noted, um, and the unrest following not only Netanyahu's pro- proposed judicial reforms, um, but also his having far-right extremists as part of his cabinet, as part of his governing coalition. What would you recommend to, to bring down temperatures right now? Well, the Biden administration did a good job of bringing the Jordanians and the Egyptians in with the Israeli and Palestinian uh, authorities to try to create a kind of contact group that would that would keep the lid on here, but it's obviously not working. Uh, we have to try again. The Jordanians are clearly upset at, at what the uh, Israeli police uh, were doing, beating up demonstrators in the third holiest mosque in Islam, which they have a responsibility for. 
but we've got to get them all engaged in, in trying to calm the situation down as best as possible. There's nothing else to do in the short term but urge restraint on all sides, get the Qataris have influence with Hamas and get them to back off. The Lebanese government is going to be very worried that they're going to be uh, the sacrificial lamb here rather than the goat on the Temple Mount, uh, that Lebanon is going to pay a price. Uh, so I think that we have to be just very actively involved in trying to get everybody to back away and calm down. One additional thing I'd like to say about the judicial reform, what the judicial reform did was cause a deep division in Israel with the, and, and as a result of that, the Iranians, I think, and, and Hamas see a weakness which they're trying to exploit. Former U.S. Ambassador to Israel, Martin Indyk, thank you so much. Happy Passover to you and your family, sir. Now to our other world lead. A total of 154 police officers were injured today during protests across France and Paris. Some protesters forced their way into the building that houses the world's biggest money manager, setting off smoke bombs. For weeks, the Macron government's decision to raise the retirement age from 62 to 64 has prompted these widespread demonstrations. CNN's Melissa Bell is in Paris for us right now. Melissa, what have you witnessed there today, and why does the violence seem to be increasing? Uh, there's definitely been a ratcheting up these last couple of weeks, Jake, simply since the French government announced that it was going to be pushing through this reform without a vote in Parliament. And that really led to anger uh, on the streets, riled the unions. And of course, therefore, or just afterwards, Emmanuel Macron announcing that he was going to hold firm regardless of what happened on the streets. And so you've really seen a definite uptick, Jake, in the amount of violence that we saw in the streets of Paris today. Tonight, calm has largely been uh, restored here in the French capital, but some pretty dramatic scenes earlier scuffles over the course of the day, fires lit along the march's route, much as we'd seen at the last protest and the one before that. We now know that it is next week that the next protest will be held, the unions calling for another massive day of strikes and protests. And whilst the numbers were slightly down on the street today, just over half a million people on the streets of France, fewer than we'd seen on the streets last week, uh, we expect to see how many will turn out next week. But again, it is that violence that we've seen really taking uh, central stage at these protests. That's been a definite shift and something that we expect to see continue, Jake. All right, Melissa Bell in Paris, thank you so much. A bombshell off the bench reports that Supreme Court Justice Clarence Thomas never disclosed numerous luxury trips paid for by a mega-rich Republican. We're going to talk to the reporter who broke the story next. Right now, you're watching Tennessee state lawmakers. Uh, they are close to voting on whether to expel three Democrats there, including Representative Justin Jones, one of the three state lawmakers who joined uh, unruly protests calling for gun reform. It disrupted activity on the House floor. The question, of course, is does the punishment fit the crime? We're going to bring you results uh, of that vote uh, when it happens. Uh, until then, though, we're going to turn to our politics, politics lead right now and a new bombshell report from ProPublica revealing that U.S. Supreme Court Justice Clarence Thomas and his wife Ginny Thomas, without disclosing most of it, have gone on luxury vacations paid for by a mega donor in the Republican Party, conservative businessman Harlan Crow. For nearly two decades, the Thomases have taken trips to Indonesia and New Zealand and California and Texas on Crow's dime, including uh, using his private jet, his 162-foot luxury yacht, staying at properties owned by Crow and his company. Many of these trips went undisclosed on Thomas's ethics filing, despite that being required by law 
Only one trip on Crow's private jet did Thomas disclose that we know of in 1997. Joining us now, one of the ProPublica reporters who, who helped break this story, Josh Kaplan. Josh, congrats on a really astounding uh, work of, of, of journalism. In a statement, the, the mega donor, uh, Harlan Crow, told you, quote, the hospitality we have extended to the Thomases over the years is no different from the hospitality we have extended to our many other dear friends, just as Thomas and Ginny never asked for any of this hospitality, unquote. Um, what did you learn about the types of trips the Thomases were taking with Harlan Crow? and his family? And has he ever had any uh, influence uh, before the court uh, on any specific uh, case? Yes. So we found that uh, Thomas has been taking luxury trips from this Dallas billionaire virtually every year for over 20 years. So we found private jet flights around the world, international cruises on his super yacht, um, regular vacations at an invitation-only luxury resort, um, you know, for one example recently is in 2019, uh, the businessman, Mr. Crow, flew Thomas to Indonesia on his private jet and then took him island hopping for nine days on his super yacht uh, staffed by stewardesses and a private chef. And we talked to um, we talked to, you know, we were told that if you were to charter that jet and that yacht yourself, it could easily cost over five hundred thousand dollars. And it's not just the gift, though, right? It's the fact that he didn't declare almost all of this. Yes. All of this, everything we found since the year 2000 happened in secret. Uh, none of these trips were disclosed. And that matters you know, to lawyers because it uh, affects their ability to understand potential conflicts in a case. But it also matters in terms of uh, the law that Thomas appears to have violated. So there was a, there was a law passed after Watergate that requires most like high-level government officials from members of Congress to Supreme Court justices to disclose most gifts and report them to the public. And we talked to ethics lawyers, and they told us that by not disclosing these trips, uh, Thomas Pierce had violated the law. Just how out of the norm are, are these trips? I see a lot of um, supporters of Thomas on social media talking about how uh, Justice Brennan, uh, 30 or so years ago, getting uh, a big gift although he did disclose it, we should note. Um, is, it, is, it, is it unusual for, for justices to take trips and accept gifts of this magnitude? And uh, is it unusual for them to not declare them? So there are other justices that you know, go to Europe to teach classes, um, that you know, fly around the world to give lectures. And you know, people have raised questions about that. But in terms of from a private individual... At this scale, this lavishness, this frequently to a justice, there is no known precedent for this in the modern history of the Supreme Court. Um, and so. All right, I'm sorry to interrupt you uh, there, Josh, um, but they have just, in the Tennessee uh, State House, they have just voted to expel State Representative Justin Jones. This is because of a disorderly. Uh, protest that he and two other Democratic colleagues uh, held um, last week in the wake of uh, the shootings uh, in Memphis, Tennessee. Uh, six people died. Uh, there were a lot of people who were very angry about uh, the, those six murders. They conver- conver- um, converged on the Capitol. Three of those state representatives, three Democrats, um, Justin Jones, Justin Pearson, and Gloria Johnson 
were disruptive on the floor of the state house. They've uh, one of the three has now been uh, expelled from the state house, and the other votes on the other two will happen uh, imminently. Uh, let's go to Ryan uh, Young. Ryan, they did it. I'm, I have to say, I'm, I've, I've, it seems like a rather harsh punishment for uh, for being unruly on the floor of the state house. But when you have a supermajority, uh, you know your party can do whatever it wants. Absolutely. Uh, Jake, I'm not surprised by this based upon what Democrats have been telling us all day long. They believe this vote would happen. In fact, we've learned there are plans for all three members to walk outside and do a news conference after they're expelled. We do believe Justin Jones will also be escorted from inside the chambers after this uh, procedure happens. Um, There's hope that he's allowed to go to his office to clear it out himself. But there's also a belief that he may be walked directly out and not even get a chance to pack up his own items. Um, this is shocking to so many people because obviously the focus now, especially a lot of the media focus, is on this going on and not the six lives that were lost just last week. And even the heroic off, uh, officers who went in to neutralize the threat. So now you can hear those protesters screaming in the background, we thought this would happen. We're also told more people might be swelling into the area because they want to participate in the rally that's going to be held here after all these uh, proceedings are done. But Jake, this is quite a shock when you think about the fact that no one has ever been expelled for a procedural matter. Um, This comes down to decorum, and the decorum wasn't followed, giving the Republicans a chance to pull this off. And like you noted earlier, these members will have a chance to run for their seat again. So we might be back in the same situation with these same members back here in a few months after they probably will get expelled today. So there there was uh, a motion to adjourn, but that has been defeated. And they are now the Tennessee State House after expelling uh, Representative Justin Jones, who you saw there in the, and you see there in the white suit, uh, who was holding up a fist a second ago, uh, they are now proceeding to House Resolution 64 to expel State Representative Gloria Johnson. Uh, there, there you see a State Representative, former, I should say, ex State Representative Jones, uh, speaking to reporters there. Uh, and and uh, Ryan Young, it is shocking, as you note, uh, the idea that what has motivated a state legislative body in Tennessee a week after this horrible attack on a Christian school uh, where a disturbed person entered with guns, killed three nine-year-olds, killed three faculty and staff members before police officers, law enforcement from the Memphis area bravely charged in and uh, and killed the, the, killed the shooter. That what has actually prompted action is the fact that three state house democrats were unruly uh on the floor of the state house and look obviously they violated the rules obviously they were disruptive and unruly uh and i'm not saying that they shouldn't be punished but it is just stark you see i believe that that uh, that is gloria johnson there on the left uh state representative gloria johnson a democrat um the action that they're taking right now is to disenfranchise hundreds of thousands of Tennesseans who will now not have state representation in the state house. That's a former state representative Jones embracing with soon to be former state representative uh, Gloria Johnson uh, on the floor of the uh, Tennessee state house in Nashville. What is motivating uh, the, the legislators 
is this act of civil disobedience, this act of violating legislative decorum, and not the murders of these three individuals, three students, uh, nine-year-olds at a, at a Christian school in Memphis, or the three faculty members, six individuals murdered, that is not prompting the state legislature to act. It is these, these state representatives, these three Democrats being rude. I, I mean, that is unusual. I would think that, and I'm not talking about gun control, but I would think there would be some action taken to try to figure out how to protect the students and faculty. Yeah, let's, first things first, Jake, when you think about it, Jones is sharp tongue. So there's a lot of people that he's tussled with within the state house who I think are sort of happy the fact that they get a chance to take away his seat. We saw today how he was able to defend himself so very well as he was talking back and forth with lawmakers. Um, but a lot of people believe before we even got here today that this was a done deal, that he was going to be gone um, at the least. And, and so many people have been trying to change things. But here's the thing. We, we've been talking to teachers all day long who spent their entire time to come down here employing lawmakers hopefully to change their mind on this one and maybe focus more on gun legislation. Um, I talked to a Republican uh, woman off camera who said she didn't want to go on camera, but she said the whole idea here, look, we live in the South, I don't expect them to take away our guns, but she wanted to see something change to make school kids safe. And so we heard that over and over from people saying maybe the Republican Democratic talking points needed to go away just a little bit in order to make some sort of space here to help children out. Um, we had teachers crying on air with us today, begging for change because they don't know what to tell their students because they say their own students expect for something to happen in school now. It's that sad fear that we should be dealing with uh, front and center according to the protesters who came here. And then you have this action taking place, a change in state history really, when you think about how this is gonna move forward. And of course with that Republican supermajority, they make the rules. And so these three lawmakers pretty much challenge that rule governing body and decorum is going to win out in this one in terms of them being able to make this change. Now, you hear people on the floor right now saying this is a change for America and democracy. And that's something we're going to think about moving forward. Jake? Right now, what we're watching on the floor of the Tennessee State House, uh, you see uh, State Representative Gloria Johnson uh, leaning against the dais there and her attorney is speaking in her defense um, and, and uh, he is chastising uh, and urging uh, the body to not expel her as they expelled uh, State Representative Justin Jones. Uh, I want to bring back in Holly McCall, editor-in-chief of the Tennessee Lookout, uh, along with CNN's uh, Jeff Zeleny. Uh, Holly, um, what is your reaction uh, to what we're seeing here on the side, on one side of the screen, uh, on the left you see State Representative Justin Jones in his white suit holding up his fist. He was there for a second outside the chamber. He has been ejected. He has been expelled from the state legislature uh, for the unruly behavior from last week. And um, we see on the right side of the screen State Representative Gloria Johnson, who is about to be expelled. Uh, I, I, Holly, are you surprised that, that this is what the state legislature is choosing to act on, even though six innocent people were murdered in a Tennessee school, in a Christian school, and, and that would seem to me, just as a citizen, to be more offensive than the, than the rude behavior we saw? 
No, um, I'm a native Tennessean, and I'm sadly not. Uh, this is not a surprise to me. It's very, it's very upsetting to me as a Tennessean. Um, the, what this is about is the fact that the Republican supermajority has never liked Gloria Johnson. They don't like Justin Jones, and they don't like Justin Pearson. And this has given them an opportunity to take some action and to take revenge on them for speaking up. Let's listen. Tennessee's in. got let's some listen. of the laxest gun laws. Yeah, let's just listen. Let's just listen into State Representative Jones, a former State Representative Jones. Let's listen to him. All right, I'm uh, uh, I'm sorry, Holly. I didn't mean to interrupt there, but uh, he was doing the chant. Uh, no action, no peace. That's a, you know, uh, uh, an evolution from the no justice, no peace chant of protests passed. This is about how, uh, in his view, the state legislature does not act uh, when there are acts of gun violence. No action, no peace. That's what he and the other two state Democrats uh, were chanting on the floor of the House that has now gotten them expelled. Uh, uh, Holly, uh, I'm sorry I interrupted before. Holly McCall from the Tennessee Lookout. Uh, you said you were not surprised. This is this is the, the state of play uh, in, in Tennessee these days. I am not surprised. The Tennessee legislature, the supermajority, is deaf to what their constituents want. I don't know who they listen to. I'm not even sure they listen to lobbyists. They passed the laxest gun laws in the nation, the strictest abortion law. I think this is a disgraceful day for Tennessee. And I speak as a native Tennessean. My family's been here since the 1700s. And this is just a, one of the worst days in Tennessee history. I think it's disgraceful. Jeff Zeleny, um, I have to say, I mean, it's just, it, it is remarkable. And again, they were without question unruly. They were without question were violating uh, the decorum of the state house. But they're being expelled. They're being kicked out. Hundreds of thousands of Tennesseans will now be without representation, at least until these special elections are held. I, I have never seen anything like this before. Have you? We certainly have it in modern times. And the vote wasn't close. The vote was 72 to 25. Only 66 votes were needed to expel. This was clearly a case of Republicans locking arms and doing this. Um, and it clearly has a whiff of retribution, uh, potentially racism and other matters. But no, we have not seen this in legislatures. Uh, but this speaks to one of the core problems with our politics, and it is gerrymandering. It is that uh, you know all these uh, legislative districts, and in some cases congressional districts, are drawn to uh, represent uh, not necessarily the masses in the middle, it's the partisans on each side. So when you have a red state like Tennessee, it is a red state. But Nashville, of course, is like is a blue city. Right. So that is the uh, tensions here that are, are playing out. So we've not seen it happen in other legislatures like this. But certainly you can imagine majority uh, legislators in uh, majority uh, states like Wisconsin or perhaps blue states like California also sort of getting an idea for this. But that is what this is exhibit A of what is uh, a, a rotten core of our politics in the country today because of gerrymandering. That's what we're seeing there play out. Yeah, and it, it, it makes uh, legislators uh, play to the extremes um, so that they, they don't feel like they have to reach to the middle. They don't feel like they even have to have a civil relationship with people on the other side, Democrats or Republicans. Right. Uh, they can just own the libs or own the cons. Um, 
Let's listen in on uh, state state representative, uh, former state representative Jones on the left side of the screen. If we can pump up the volume there. This does not seem like America. To expel voices of opposition and dissent um, is a signal of authoritarianism, and it is very dangerous. And I hope that as a nation watches that that we that we we put this this light on Tennessee to say that. This should sound the alarm across the nation that we're entering into very dangerous territory. You've two of your colleagues in there who are still going to face questions today. What would you say to them, your other two members of the Tennessee Three? I mean, we're in this together. We, the three of us, the Tennessee Three, we stand together. So I'm going to the balcony to go support them. Um, you know, I can't be on the House floor right now. So I'm going to go to the galleries and, and, and stay for the hearing because we, we are in this together. And it's, it's so important that we represent, you know, we're multiracial, intergenerational. We represent Memphis, Nashville, Knoxville. We stand united, and the people across the nation are paying attention to what's happening because this is not the end. But what they did was signal that that if we don't act, we, we, we will lose our democracy. Today was a signal that we have lost democracy in Tennessee and that we are on the path toward authoritarianism, to be quite honest. Will you run again? I have no idea, you know, what are my next steps in terms of responding to this extreme measure, but I will continue to show up with the people and continue to, to, to you know, to demand action on common sense gun laws, because what we were saying was, let's, let us pass an assault weapons ban, let's take action, and they responded by assaulting democracy. So thank you all so much. Thank you, Representative Jones. I don't have any next steps, but I will continue to show up in this Capitol with these young people, whether I'm in that chamber or outside. And so we don't know what's next. I'm going to consult my legal team because I believe that what they did was unconstitutional. Um, I believe that it, it violated um, our, you know, many of our rights. And so um, it, it silenced more importantly than just me. My district, 78,000 people have lost their, their vote and their voice because of the extreme actions of this body. And so I'll continue to show up, and, and we must continue to hold them accountable. Thank you, Representative Jones. That's State Representative Jones, former State Representative Jones, who was just expelled. He's 27 years old, born in Oakland, California. He came to Tennessee to attend Fisk University and became an activist there. He included, a, he participated in a 62-day sit-in outside the Tennessee State House uh, regarding the Dakota Pipeline uh, construction at Standing Rock. Um, he is an activist, and uh, he behaved on the floor of the State House as an activist and violated rules and the supermajority of Republicans have taken the extreme step of expelling him, and they're about to take the steps of expelling uh, two of his colleagues as well. You see there on the left side of your screen, State Representative uh, Gloria Johnson, uh, who is uh, also going to face a vote. Let's listen in. It's nothing less than a cancellation of steady decision, steady decisions of thousands of Tennessee voters. The charge today, the only charge, is that Representative Johnson and the other members violated the House rules. I, like you, have lived by those rules. Now, today I've heard what happened called a mutiny. Give me a break. Any of you that have served in this body more than a handful of months knows that when tempers are high, rules are bent, Rules are broken. I have personally been in this chamber when on multiple occasions members came to blows. When members took videos improperly in violation of the rules. I have been here when members were locked in the chamber, when the speaker had to gavel down members who were directly against the rules engaging in personal insults. I have been in this chamber 
when a member was so fearful he had to be guarded by a group of state troopers. In none of these situations did anyone ever even suggest that because the rules had been violated, there should be a significant sanction for a member. No, they just returned the chamber to calm and the chamber got back onto its business. Certainly no one ever suggested the ultimate sanction that you are proposing today. Often, the, these sorts of things I describe happen as here when the body is confronting highly charged, critical issues. For Tennesseans, the Covenant School shooting is not just a national tragedy, it's a personal issue. For us in Nashville, we know these people, we know the victims or their teachers or their friends. Representative Johnson's a teacher. As you, many of you know, she spends an enormous amount of time counseling and working with teachers here in Nashville and elsewhere. For her, the events at the school were a crushing personal tragedy, a huge burden. We saw a tape today as represents the complete lack of due process in this particular proceeding. We've never gotten a straight answer about who took that tape that we were provided. But what did it show? It showed some members came to a well almost immediately. I, I hear after five seconds a recess was called. The members came to the well. Representative Johnson stood here, did not shout, as is stated, did not pound at the table, and after a short period of time engaged in a discussion with leadership and then peaceably left the chamber. Nobody was hurt. Nobody was threatened. This is, an, this is the sort of situation that has often occurred on the floor of this house and no one has ever suggested these grave sanctions. Expulsion under these circumstances, as all of you know, would have no precedent in Tennessee or elsewhere. In, uh, in Liz Crampton, uh, we were listening to the attorney there of State Representative Gloria Johnson. Uh, there will be a, a vote soon on expelling her for disorderly behavior on the floor of the State House. You see some uh, angry Tennesseans on the left outside the chamber, uh, upset not just at these three Democrats being expelled. One has been expelled, two are about to be expelled, but at the fact that um, there has not been any action by the state legislature to do anything about what motivated the unruly behavior by the three, three state representatives. That horrible school shooting at a Christian school uh, in uh, Tennessee, uh, where six people were killed, three nine-year-olds and three uh, adults, uh, faculty members and staff. Um, no action taken by the state legislature to do anything in terms of any prescription uh, whether it is uh, uh, armed guards or metal detectors or red flag laws or any sort of gun laws. Instead, a focus on these three state representatives. Um, let's bring in Liz Crampton, as I said, state policy reporter for Politico. Um, is this uh, uh, the future of state legislatures, Liz? Is this what's going to start happening uh, around the country where, where other states who have supermajorities, Democrats and Republicans, just start ejecting people they don't like for rule violations? 
There's no doubt that lawmakers in other states are paying close attention to what's happening in Nashville today. The question is if there's the will to do something similar, but we do know that there are the numbers. You know, more than half of states now today are controlled by the majority, and the vast majority of those are held by Republicans. Um, we saw a real consolidation of power in state houses among Republicans in the South, in states with similar, similar in the midterm elections, in states with similar political climates as Tennessee. So whether extreme measures like this happens in other states, it remains to be seen. But we are at the point in the legislative calendar in these sessions where Republicans are leveraging that power to use their supermajorities to do things like bypass governors. We're seeing that in North Carolina, in Kentucky, and in Kansas. So, I mean, it's a real possibility that this is the way that Republicans, um, you know, control government. They can steamroll other branches and their own members as long as they have this many seats. Ryan uh, Young, you're outside uh, the state house right now. Um, really uh, shocking uh, step taken by the state legislature there. How are how are the protesters and how is the crowd reacting? Yeah, Jake. So we're now in the state capitol itself. We've been able to work our way in here. You can see the protesters who are outside, who are now inside, who are making their voices heard. You can see the signs like how many dead kids until you say no to the NRA. These protesters have been energized all day long. There's another group of uh, protesters who are downstairs, and they are uh, trying to get their way upstairs, but they can't. They've been limiting how many they're going to be in the space right now. Um, you look on both sides, they are state troopers and uh, Capitol Police here who are trying to limit how many protesters can be in this hallway at a time. So you can just feel the passion right now that's been going on all day long here in Tennessee. All right, Ryan. Uh, Jeff Zeleny. In fact, Representative Johnson. Go ahead, Ryan. Uh, so Representative Johnson just walked past us a second ago. So some of these lawmakers are actually walking out as we're here, Jake, and that's what's getting this crowd even more excited as we speak. State Representative Gloria Johnson just walked by. Is that what you said? So, yes, and she walked uh, uh, down a hallway, and that's when people were just screaming left and right because they wanted to obviously give her a, a lot of attention as, as this is going on. As you can hear, people nonstop. Jeff Zeleny, um, you know, we, we talked about this uh, earlier about um, how gerrymandering leads to extremism, uh, Democrats or Republicans uh, running roughshod over their opposition. Uh, but this is a rather stark example with a supermajority uh, just expelling three um, representatives for disruptive behavior on the floor of the House. And as, as we have discussed, um, we have seen disruptive behavior on the floor of the House of Representatives, the U.S. House of Representatives, Democrats being disruptive, Republicans being disruptive. It has, as far as I can tell, never, not in the modern era, ever resulted in uh, expulsion or even kicking people off their committees. This is, a, this is just by its own definition, this is an extreme take extreme action by the Republican supermajority in the state legislature. Without a doubt. And it's just an example of just how broken American politics are. And it was uh, four words that those three legislators were saying over and over. No action, no peace. 
By uh, worldwide standards, I mean, on the floor of parliament, for example, in the United Kingdom, uh, there are, you know, <laughs> yeah. of, you know uh, outrageous uh, debates, outlandish debates. So this is nothing. This is not uh, the, um, they aren't being expelled for the words they were saying. But Jake, this is one other thing that points to mind. We are now a patchwork of red and blue states. But if you look at Tennessee, in the year 2000, that presidential campaign you and I both covered very well. George W. Bush won it narrowly by 3%. That was the first year that Republicans started winning Tennessee in presidential races. Before that, Bill Clinton carried it. Since then, last time, Joe Biden lost by some 23 points. Yeah. So this is a sign of red and blue America has changed so specifically. Uh, Democrats largely in cities and on the, the coast of this country, the middle and the south certainly is red. What that means is there's no trust among lawmakers. There is no um, sort of reason to get along. And yes, this was disruptive behavior, no doubt about it. You can also say, as I've been um, uh, hearing from some Republicans pointing out, these Democrats, are they doing the best thing to get legislation forward? Yeah, no, they're obviously trying to draw attention to this. The question is, what happens after this? Will there let's, be let's, a discussion or trust about yeah. gun bills? Yeah, and we're about to listen to um, State Representative Gloria Johnson, uh, who is going to speak in her own defense uh, and talk about why she should not be uh, expelled. She's being there are being questions asked of her by her colleagues. Let's listen in. Representative Wendell, Representative Wendell, but Representative Wendell, the rule, hang on. Hey, stop the, Mr. Mr. Clark, please stop the clock. Mr. Wendell, please, that is, that is not appropriate. The, the suspension of the rules request, Mr. Clerk, can we just go back over what, what that was? Hang on. Just, one second. One second. All right. We're going to be watching the proceedings here just to bring uh, people up to speed. Uh, State Representative Gloria Johnson. Uh, again, born uh, just like a former state representative, Jones, not born in Tennessee, uh, moved to Tennessee to go to college. She went to the University of Tennessee at Knoxville, uh, became an activist, a more traditional path for her, uh, Knox County Democratic Party chairwoman, and then elected to the uh, Tennessee House, um, which includes Knoxville, uh, Tennessee. Um, and she uh, and uh, two of her colleagues, in the wake of that horrific Covenant school shooting, that Christian school were, were three little babies, three nine-year-olds, and three, student, uh, three uh, faculty and staff were, were murdered by a, a disturbed individual. Um, she she took to the floor in a, in a disruptive I manner. And Jeff Zeleny, this is not just a story. This is, this is, I agree with you. This is a story about the extremism of our politics and gerrymandering and catering to the, um, to the social media and the like. Um, it's also a story about frustration about all the gun violence in this country uh, and about the fact that uh, there appears to be so little that people are willing to do to protect kids in school, kids in school. Uh, and again, I'm not talking about liberal prescriptions or conservative prescriptions. I'm just talking about people trying to solve the problem. We saw some measures taken by Republicans and Democrats in the U.S. Senate uh, last year, and there was, you know, there were some steps taken in Florida after the Parkland shooting. The Republican legislature and the Republican governor Rick Scott uh, passed some legislation trying to solve the problem, making schools harder targets uh, 
and, and, and changing some of the gun laws. Um, but here in Tennessee, uh, the passion on the Republican lawmaker side is in expelling these three Democrats, not trying to solve this problem. Without a question. And this is something that uh, will be fascinating to watch what happens after all this, because in Tennessee, Governor Bill Lee, he actually proposed earlier this week a $205 million school safety plan. He's very deeply connected and, and uh, touched by this covenant shooting. His wife's best friend was one of the slain uh, school teachers there. So, look, what uh, comes after the shouting? What comes after this? Can there be any common ground found on this? But uh, the protesters out there, uh, they may be Democrats in the rotunda of the Capitol, but they share the views of independents and Republicans. There's bipartisan, broad anger out in the country that our elected officials have done very little to address this. And the red flag laws exhibit A of that. That was a key part of the bipartisan uh, congressional legislation that President Biden signed into law, and that is not being implemented. In fact, it's being blocked in some states across the country. So um, I think more important is what happens after uh, this expulsion. This is simply an unfortunate sign of our broken politics in this country that we're going to see play out probably two more times today with two more expulsions here of these lawmakers. And I'm told uh, that uh, there was some action taken on the floor of the state legislature today when it comes to hardening schools. The U.S. senators from Tennessee, uh, Blackburn and Haggerty, a week ago uh, introduced uh, legislation that would, uh, in their view, um, solve some of the problem. It was a $900 million grant program allowing public and private schools to train and hire veterans and former law enforcement officers to serve as school safety officers. Um, you know, the, the school safety officers issue is one that sounds great uh, and I'm sure could be effective, but we also know uh, that such officers uh, did not work at the Uvalde school. Such officers did not work at the Parkland school. Uh, it sounds better than it sometimes actually works. I want to bring in CNN's Audie Cornish, uh, who began her career as a reporter in Tennessee. And Audie, um, State Representative Justin Jones, uh, says he's going to continue to show up to the state capitol following the vote to expel him from that body, from the state legislature, uh, though he would not say one way or the other whether he's going to run for that now open seat, which he, he can do. What do you think? Well, it's actually fascinating to see um, a young lawmaker in this moment in this state house. For people who know anything about the civil rights movement of the 60s, Fisk University, which is one of the oldest universities in Nashville and is where um, uh, Mr. Jones went to school, has a long history of kind of civil rights activism, Diane Nash and Freedom Riders, etc. Um, but the other interesting thing is someone who's lived in Nashville is this has been a long time brewing and coming. Um, you mentioned the gerrymandering earlier. That was a really big deal. Nashville's a big county, splitting it into three, into areas that could be more easily won by Republicans. That had an effect. You know, that really was a, a long brewing battle that didn't come to national attention. And I think what we're seeing now is the spilling over of longtime tensions in the state between the rural and suburban and exurban districts, which are pretty red and became even more so um, from the Obama years through the Trump years, uh, and the very blue kind of capital, which we see this pattern in so many other states. Yeah, it is. It is. Uh, it is happening. Um, 
all over the country that things are getting more extreme. But I have to say, this is the first time we've seen something quite like this uh, in the modern era. I, I can't, I have no idea what was done during the uh, uh, Civil War. Let's go to uh, uh, Ryan Young right now, who's t- uh, talking to Representative uh, Pearson along with other reporters. Second district uh, being expelled from the state house because he said we need to end gun violence. Because he said we have to do something. We have to make sure that the voices of the people are elevated. And right now we have on trial in this kangaroo court Representative Gloria Johnson and her attorneys, who they too are seeking to expel right before uh, I speak and before they work to expel me, uh, which I expect to happen too. We are losing our democracy. This is not normal. This is not okay. If you look at what it takes to expel a member, what it should take, most of the times that a member in the Tennessee state legislature have gotten expelled in the last two times in particular, one, the guy committed sexual assault against 22 people. The other committed bribery. We broke a house rule because we're fighting for kids who are dying from gun violence and people in our communities who want to see an end to the proliferation of weaponry in our communities, and that leads to our expulsion. This is not democracy. This is not what it is supposed to look like. And everybody needs to be very afraid and very worried that there are people in positions of power who are using and wielding that power to expel people who are duly elected to their seats. We came here to fight for our constituents. We came here to lift up the issues of people who are suffering. Six people died in Nashville at the Covenant School. Three were nine years old. But instead of focusing on that, Representative Jones, Representative Johnson, and myself are being expelled from the State House because we said we cannot do business as usual. No one should be wanting to operate as though this is not happening, as though we are not living in a gun violence epidemic in the state of Tennessee. And the solutions that are being offered is actually to reduce the First Amendment rights of people who speak up on behalf of their constituencies, who speak up on behalf of people who are tired of the guns, who are tired of seeing legislation being passed that lowers the age for you to carry, tired of seeing legislation being passed that says you don't need a permit, tired of legislation being passed that says if we give teachers guns, that's somehow going to fix the problem. People are tired of these non-real solutions to a real problem that we are suffering from. I've lost a classmate this year from gun violence. My mentor died last year from gun violence. We are dealing with a gun violence epidemic, and the resolution is not to to silence the voices of people who send us here to the people's house to speak with them and for them. It is to make sure we do just legislation. It's to make sure we fight for red flag laws. We fight for good storage laws. We fight to make sure that this is a democracy and maintains its democratic principles. But that's what's being lost today. And so every Tennessean needs to be very concerned that we are not in a democracy. And across the United States of America, there has been no House members who have ever been expelled for exercising their First Amendment rights in a peaceful protest. This is a first in American history. And we are losing our democracy to white supremacy. We are losing our democracy to patriarchy. We are losing our democracy to people who want to keep a status quo that is damning to the rest of us and damning to our children and unborn people. It is no coincidence that the two youngest black lawmakers in the state of Tennessee and one or two women are on trial today. That is not accidental. This is what happens when you lose democracy. This is what we are fighting against and must stand up against as legislators and as people and as citizens across this country. Because it's starting in Tennessee, but it won't end here. How painful has this last week been to be a member of this body and instead of talking about those dead children, dead people, to be focused on maybe something that none of you expected before? It is painful to be a member of this body because of the silences that the members of this body take. 
The silence on gun reform, the silence on actually doing things that protect communities and make us safer, the silence about expanding health care access, the silence about doing things to ensure all children have equitable educational opportunities, the silence about the lynchings that are occurring in our state due to police brutality. We are tired of the silence that is going on in this place. And the reality is there are some people who are silent. They're dead. They're three nine-year-olds who will never serve in this General Assembly, who will never be able to march, who will never be able to protest, who will never be able to raise their voice about this issue. There are three folks, 60, 60, and 61, who are just going to work to serve children who are dead because someone with an assault rifle went into the school and shot 152 rounds. What reason does any reasonable person have to have an assault rifle? They're only intended to kill people and police officers. And yet, we have folks who are beholden to the NRA, folks who are beholden to gun lobbyists like the Tennessee Firearms Association, folks who don't care about the children that we've lost, don't care about the classmates we lost, don't care about the people in our communities that we lose every single day when we turn on the news because they rather support a status quo that kills us than do the work of justice of creating legislation that helps to save us. Justin, what would be your message to the Speaker of the House today? The Speaker of the House is leading an undemocratic institution he is leading a, a political lynching of people who have already been persecuted for being women, for being black, for being young, gifted and talented. The Speaker of the House is a problem in the state of Tennessee, and he is not a, a, a dictator. He is not a god, as Representative Jones said. And yet that is the way that he is operating, and that needs to change. And the people of Tennessee have a responsibility, a moral responsibility to continue to come continue to speak up and to continue to fight to get just legislation to end gun violence in our state. And that's to push the speaker and every leader and everybody in the Republican Party who voted in a partisan way to expel the members of this legislature. After what happened to I do not have a belief that people can know that children are dying, know that people in communities across this state are dying, and they still choose to do nothing. They'd rather support the NRA. They'd rather call children who are 9 and 10 and 12 and 13 insurrectionists, saying that they, they, they're as violent as the folks on January 6th who killed police officers, who killed fellow Americans. They, they're calling children insurrectionists in the state of Tennessee because they don't want to see justice come here. And that's a problem. When you, I have to head back to you. No problem. Thank you so much for stopping. So, Jake, as you saw, he walked out. And we wanted to get an opportunity to talk with him so you can tell how fired up he is about what's been going on. We're going to walk back in right now um, to show you where the protesters are. Um, you can see the state troopers and the Capitol Police that have lined up. And they're obviously making sure that people who are part of the public can't cross certain lines. But the passion still remains here. We wanted to bring that to you as live as quick as possible. And the, uh, just the motion here is overpouring. Jake? All right. We're going to um, listen in uh, on the floor of the State House right now, uh, where State Representative Gloria Johnson is taking questions from her colleagues about whether or not she should be expelled. Let's listen in. Spoke, they were not yelling because this microphone was on. And as long as this microphone was on, and I don't even remember which colleague it was, I stood with them. Um, but as long as this microphone was on, they only that they spoke to the microphone and did not yell. When the microphone was cut and the speaker called recess, when the speaker called recess, um, I think that that's when the megaphone came out. But I absolutely 
never yelled. This is about me, as I understand it, with this resolution. Representative Bolso. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. Well, let's just walk through it slowly. You will agree that your two colleagues, one from Shelby County, one from Davidson County, used a bullhorn to address the gallery, correct? Representative Johnson. It is correct that a small megaphone was used. And yes, I stood with my colleagues, but I, the, the video showed what I was doing. Representative Bolso. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. And the video shows that you were chanting with your colleagues, correct? Representative Johnson. I believe that the charges were that I was yelling and I was not yelling. Representative Bolso. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. But my question, Representative, was this. Do you agree that you were in the well chanting? Representative Johnson. I agree that I was in the well, but I can tell you that my voice was no louder than the members having conversations all around this room during the recess. Representative Bolso. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. Well, let's put volume to one side. We saw on the videotape, didn't, did we not, that you were chanting, quote, enough is enough, close quote. Representative Johnson. Um, that's probably true, yes, but it was not yelling, and my voice was no louder than the conversations going on in this room, even occasionally some yelling a little bit across the floor to each other. Um, that was also going on. I stood with my colleagues. I stand with my colleagues. And we may have broken a house rule coming to the well, but much of this document is false. That's uh, Tennessee uh, State Representative Gloria Johnson answering questions about just how unruly she may or may not have been uh, when she and her colleagues uh, were protesting the uh, lack of uh, action by the state legislature in the wake of that deadly school shooting at the Christian School Covenant School. Uh, three nine-year-olds killed, three members uh, of the faculty and staff. Um, here are the, the victims of Covenant School, the Christian school in Tennessee. Uh, Evelyn uh, Dickhouse, uh, age nine. Hallie Scruggs, age nine. William Kinney, age nine. Uh, Cynthia Peake, Catherine Koontz, and Mike Hill, uh, three adults uh, killed there. Uh, this is the passions uh, the people uh, in Nashville are so upset about um, because of these six individuals and the very fact that all that has been done by the state legislature uh, to stop this madness of school shootings, of mass shootings in this country, was an amendment today to protect students who report school threats and a safety level state-level safety team to establish to ensure schools are in compliance with safety regulations, uh, which is some pretty thin gruel uh, if you're looking at the bodies uh, of six individuals, including three nine-year-olds. So we're going to take a, a, a quick break. We'll, we'll be right back. I'm a television... We're watching the vote in the Tennessee State House to expel three Democratic members for participating uh, in a gun violence protest with demonstrators. They were uh, unruly on the floor of the State House, and now they're talking about expelling them. They've already expelled one of them. Right now, the second, Representative Gloria Johnson, is taking questions from lawmakers under her pending expulsion. 
As I noted, uh, the Republican supermajority just a few minutes ago voted to remove Representative Justin Jones. Uh, we're following the vote. We're going to bring you the results uh, as they uh, come in. Uh, but in the meantime, we have some breaking news just into CNN. Israel is now striking in the Gaza Strip. That's after dozens of rockets today were fired into Israel. Elliot Gotkin is in Jerusalem. Elliot, tell us more. Jake, this has just come out across uh, from the uh, IDF in the last couple of minutes that it is striking in the Gaza Strip. I don't think it's a, a huge surprise that it is in action. The security cabinet has been meeting this evening to decide what action, what retaliatory action to take in the wake of those something like three dozen rockets that were fired from southern Lebanon towards Israel. And the interesting thing here is that it wasn't Hezbollah, which would be the usual suspect when rockets are fired to Israel from southern Lebanon. Israel is pointing the finger at uh, Palestinian militant groups, either Hamas or Islamic Jihad. Now, it's unclear if the uh, airstrikes Israel is undertaking right now as we speak in Gaza is in response to the rockets from uh, Lebanon, from Palestinian militant groups in Lebanon into Israel earlier today, or if it's in response to rocket fire that came from Gaza towards Israel but didn't actually enter Israel uh, last night. So Israel is definitely taking some action. And we suppose we were waiting to see what action it would take. But ahead of the security cabinet meeting uh, this evening, Prime Minister Benjamin uh, Netanyahu uh, putting out a statement saying that we are calling for calming the situation and we will take strong action against extremists who use violence there, referring to the Al-Aqsa Mosque, of course, uh, which was, if you like, the spark for this latest uh, round of violence. And then he went on to say that regarding the aggression against us on other fronts, we will strike our enemies and they will pay the price for any act of aggression. And I suppose the result of that, putting those words into action, is what we're seeing right now in Gaza, Jake. All right, Elliot Gakin in Jerusalem with the latest uh, there. Thank you so much. Also on our world lead, blistering questions today uh, for the White House after Congress got a classified after-action review of the Biden administration's withdrawal from Afghanistan. The White House blaming the Trump administration for conditions that left President Biden, quote, severely constrained, which led to the evacuations going so tragically wrong and 13 U.S. service members being killed during the evacuation. Reporters confronted a rather defensive National Security Council spokesman, John Kirby, who took issue with the withdrawal being described as chaotic. So for all this talk of chaos, I just didn't see it. Not from my perch. The president's very proud of the manner in which uh, the men and women of the military, the foreign service, the intelligence community, I went on and on and on, uh, conducted this, conducted this uh, withdrawal. Now, members of Congress will also get their opportunity to push back against the Biden administration's Afghanistan withdrawal and their discussions and defense of it. The House Oversight Committee is planning to have a hearing about this on April 19th. Let's bring in CNN's Natasha Bertrand, who listened closely to today's White House briefing. Natasha, Kirby said that this classified document given to Congress was, was not necessarily about accountability. It was about lessons learned. Uh, what lessons were learned? Yeah, Jake. So this document, as you mentioned, is classified. So the public is likely not going to get a look at it anytime soon. But the National Security Council did release a summary of what it has described as its perspectives on the withdrawal that happened in 2021. And what they say, essentially, is that Biden's decisions were severely constrained by decisions made under the Trump administration, namely the Doha agreement in which the Trump administration made a deal with the Taliban to withdraw 
all U.S. forces from Afghanistan by May 2021. But look, there were a lot of questions in that White House briefing about why the White House and why the administration writ large has not held anyone accountable for the chaos of that evacuation and, of course, for the bombing, the attack at Abbey Gate that left 13 service members dead. Here is one particularly contentious exchange. There were people hanging off of Air Force jets that were leaving, and you're saying that you guys are proud of the way that this mission was conducted? Does proud it mean of that? Proud of the fact that we got more than 124,000 people safely out of Afghanistan? You bet. Proud of the fact that American troops were able to seize control of a defunct airport and get it operational in 48 hours? You bet. Proud of the fact that we now have about 100,000 Afghans, our former allies and partners, living in this country and working towards citizenship? You bet. So the administration reiterating here that they do perceive this the evacuation as a success all into, for all intents and purposes. But at the same time, they are acknowledging that there were things that they are now going to be doing differently moving forward. Namely, they are going to start those evacuations sooner. And also they are going to sound the alarm much sooner for Americans who are in these situations where the security environment is deteriorating very rapidly, telling them to leave much faster than they did at the time uh, under the Afghanistan withdrawal, Jake. Months before the withdrawal on this show, uh, we were talking about the need to evacuate all of these Afghan partners. Um, It's not like it was never raised before. Kirby also uh, took aim at at Ashraf Ghani, the, the former president of Afghanistan. Tell us about that. Yeah, so placing a lot of blame here on the former president who fled, saying that the administration did not know that Ashraf Ghani, essentially as soon as the Taliban took over Kabul, was just going to leave the city. And he said that this is a large part of the reason why the administration didn't move quicker to evacuate Americans as well as U.S. service members. Here's what he said. Where we came down on was not calling for Uh, in evacuation sooner because we didn't want the Ghani government to collapse. And we had every assurance made by President Ghani that he wasn't going anywhere. Now, John Kirby also placing a lot of blame on the Afghan National Army, saying that they just did not have a will to fight. But of course, a lot of questions still about the administration's accountability and what steps are going to be taken in the future to prevent something like this again, Jake. All right, Natasha Bertrand at the Pentagon for us. Thank you so much. Joining us now to discuss this and more, U.S. Navy Admiral William McCraven, who retired from the military in 2014. He has a brand new book out this week. It's titled The Wisdom of the Bullfrog, Leadership Made Simple But Not Easy, a bullfrog for those who don't know, is the longest-serving Navy SEAL on active duty. This would be, I guess he's already, you've already had two New York Times bestsellers, so potentially this is going to be the third admiral. But, but let's, uh, before we get to, to the wisdom of the bullfrog, I want to ask you about the Afghanistan withdrawal. You obviously spent a great deal of your career there. You notably commanded the special ops team uh, who successfully uh, got bin Laden across the border there in Pakistan. Um, Kirby was on on defense today. You saw he would not say what mistakes the president believes he made during the withdrawal. A lot of blame for the Trump administration and Ashraf Ghani. Um, What do you make of the U.S. withdrawal? Obviously, hindsight's 2020, but we were on this show having experts like you. I don't I don't think you in this particular case, but people come on and say, uh, if we're if we're leaving, then we need to start getting Afghan allies and others out as soon as possible and getting key weapons out as soon as possible. A lot of stuff that didn't happen. Yeah, well, obviously, I haven't read the report, Jake, but, you know, when you are the commander in chief, you're responsible, you're accountable and you can't blame the guy that came before you. 
So, again, as I understand it, this report is really a lessons learned, which is different uh, in terms of reports than an accountability report. But make no, make no mistake about it. You know, somebody should be held accountable for this evacuation. Now, I will agree with John Kirby on a couple of points. One, you know, you cannot deny the incredible heroism and courage of the soldiers, sailors, airmen, and Marines that came into Kabul, that evacuated those 125,000 Afghans, and, uh, and America should be proud of those young men and women. Uh, but in terms of responsibility and accountability, uh, you know, it, it's, uh, it's with the commander-in-chief and that administration. I mean, this was 13 individuals uh, killed, uh, not including the Afghans, 13 service members killed in that incident, that horrible incident at Abbey Gate. Uh, we had a soldier on um, a week or two ago uh, who had been severely wounded. He lost an arm and a leg, literally, uh, in that attack. And they thought they saw the suicide bomber ahead of time, uh, but they were not given permission uh, to shoot him because of it seems like a command structure chaos that was going on at the time. Um, look, war is difficult. I, I get it. But it does seem like there should be some accountability for, uh, for that chaos. Yeah, but, but again, here's what I'll offer. And I have seen some of the, uh, you know, the more confidential reports. And I've talked to some folks that were there. And, and again, once the 82nd Airborne got on the ground, once the soldiers got organized, when you take a look at you know, how they put this in place, the evacuation, and the job that they did to get the Afghans out, that part, again, incredibly courageous, a pretty remarkable effort. Now, uh, in terms of the suicide bomber, obviously incredibly tragic. I don't know what the rules of engagement were at Abbey Gate. That needs to be part of a report. Again, we need to look back and find out what did we do wrong? Uh, what could we have done better? This is always part of an after-action report. And an after-action report helps you provide lessons learned, but then there has to be a report that identifies accountability and, uh, and makes changes where necessary. So in your uh, brand new book, uh, The Wisdom uh, of the Bullfrog, uh, you quote 19th century general Carl von Clausewitz, who says, quote, everything in war is simple, but the simple things are difficult. Was there ever going to be a simple way to extract the U.S. from, from Afghanistan? Well, there was probably never going to be a simple way. But uh, again, from hearing John Kirby and the, the reporter earlier, uh, clearly we could have started this evacuation earlier. Uh, this was, uh, I think this was well known uh, within the administration. I think the military wanted to get uh, moving a little quicker. We understood that we had about 130,000 Afghans to evacuate. And, uh, and obviously, the closer you get to the end game, i.e. the end of uh, August or whenever we had put the, the timeline down, it, it gets harder and harder to do that. So I'm, I'm glad that the administration recognizes that they needed to start this earlier. And if we find ourselves in a situation like this again, you know, hopefully uh, thoughtful minds will remember that lesson. You also talk in your book uh, about this idea of standing before the long green table that refers to conference tables and military boardrooms, long adorned with green felt surrounded by a group of officers. And you say you remind yourself of, of this phrase, uh, the Clausewitz phrase about the simple things being difficult, when you have to explain and stand by difficult decisions. Um, do you think that the Biden administration stood before the long green table before making the plans to withdraw? Or was it they were just getting their, their bearings? They'd only uh, been there for a few months. I mean, what's your take? Yeah, you know, it, it's hard to... Uh 
to put my crystal ball in play right now and, and look back because I don't know what was going on inside the administration. But your point about the long green table is an important one because uh, I will tell you, every time I was getting ready to make a difficult decision or take difficult actions, you mentally put yourself before the long green table. That's the accountability. And you ask yourself, are the decisions I'm making, are the actions I'm taking, would they be understood by reasonable men and women? If not, you better rethink the actions uh, and your decisions. So the long green table is a little bit of a, a parable about accountability. So sooner or later, every leader has to be held accountable for the decisions they make and the actions they take. Retired Admiral William McRaven, the book is The Wisdom of the Bullfrog, Leadership Made Simple But Not Easy. I highly recommend it. It's a great read. Thank you so much for joining us, sir. You bet. Thanks, Jake. We're monitoring the Tennessee House vote coming up in Nashville where Republican lawmakers just expelled a one state representative and are debating the vote to expel a second and then a third. We'll be right back. Tennessee Republicans have voted to expel from the state legislature Democratic Representative Justin Jones. And right now, Representative Gloria Johnson, also a Democrat, is defending herself, taking questions from lawmakers on her almost certain pending expulsion by the Republican supermajority in that state legislature. Uh, Let's discuss, and Audie, I'm going to start with you because you have covered in Tennessee the state legislature. Um, Was it this partisan? Was it this uh, punishing of the minority when you were there? It has grown more and more tense and tenuous over the last decade. I don't think it's an accident that two out of those three lawmakers represent Nashville and Memphis, which are the blue concentration parts of the state. But there has been this kind of very push-pull tension between rural, exurban, very red districts and the kind of blue state, uh, sorry, blue city um, capitals and city halls uh, that kind of govern those population centers. And we talked about this earlier, how one move the Republicans made was to split up Nashville's county into three smaller districts that are more Republican-leaning. So when you hear these lawmakers using very high-minded language about authoritarianism or fascism, it's actually part of a broader deep well of concern where these population centers feel like their political power is being diluted right before their eyes. This goes to the much broader problem we're seeing about what a representative democracy truly means. And it starts, this is the the bottom up part of it. It's not just about Biden and Trump and the rhetoric they use. This is about the gerrymandering. This is about how these districts are created and formed and how people, when they vote somebody in, can expect that that vote will be respected. We have, you know, in Congress right now, several members that have wild antics that have been accused of ethics violations and constantly lying, but there's not been a move to expel them. These are members who participated in a legal protest at a time in which they were acknowledging the pain of their constituents. And the power dynamic is such that that dissent is not allowed. And the power has been structured that the majority can kick out whatever they don't like when somebody steps out of line. And Jake, I think it also goes to how broken my former political party is, how radicalized they've become. It's no longer simply enough just to defeat your political opponents. You want to destroy them. So they broke the rules. They got a little unruly. Instead of just reprimanding them, expelling them, that's a broken political party. And, and um, one of the things that happened this week was Congresswoman Marjorie Taylor Greene, 
a Republican from Georgia. She put out a video basically accusing the president of the United States of being a pedophile uh, and taking all these little snippets of President Biden, Senator Biden, Vice President Biden, you know, interacting with kids out of context. One of the clips was the president having, as we all remember, that, that little boy with the stutter that spoke at the Democratic convention, incredibly moving relationship. President Biden offer, obviously suffers from a stutter. And then, I mean, whatever you think of Joe Biden, whatever you think of his politics, whatever, like this was like legitimately kind and nice. And um, that was twisted. That's fine in, in today's Republican Party. That's, that's okay for Marjorie Taylor Greene to twist this beautiful story into the most disgusting accusation you can make about somebody and making it about the president. Right. No, no reaction. And more than fine, it's actually rewarded, right? It's not that there's just an absence of censure. It's that the incentives point politicians in the direction of behaving more like that. And the people who are supposed to be the leaders of the party, like the guy who's now Speaker of the House, other members of the Republican leadership, have decided that the prudent thing for them to do politically is to make common cause with that person as opposed to trying to impose any kind of sort of basic standard of decency on their side. And you know, Jake, you talk to so many Republican lawmakers in this town and they will say privately, God, it's so embarrassing. She's so awful. I can't believe that we're like this. And then on a show like this, there's not a chance they would say a word of that. Yeah. And, and you know, something else. So Kevin McCarthy, he had a good day yesterday. He gave a, a good speech, strong remarks about Taiwan, standing up for democracy, even got merited a, a really kind uh, uh, statement from Nancy Pelosi, who, who is not a fan of his in particular. Um, but I was thinking about this. Kevin McCarthy, Speaker McCarthy, standing up for democracy in Taiwan. Great, wonderful. What about democracy in the United States? This is a, this is a speaker who, who lied and said Donald Trump won 2020 in a landslide. He voted to disenfranchise the voters of Pennsylvania and Arizona. I mean... How do, you, how do you square that circle? You can't, because this is a speaker here who wants to remain speaker here. And to remain speaker here, he has to do what Marjorie Taylor Greene and that aspect of the caucus. And Jake, you and I have talked. It's no longer just a wing. The Marjorie Taylor Greene uh, aspect of the caucus is where the energy in this Republican Party is. McCarthy has to answer to that. Um, let me ask you, Audie, this fresh scrutiny on the judge in the New York uh, City uh, criminal case against Donald Trump. Uh, he gave $35 in contributions to Democrats over the years, including $15 to the Biden campaign, $10 to an organization called Stop Republicans in 2020. These are not big contributions, but they're contributions. Uh, and there are some legal experts who say it's not worth it to have this be the judge because it's an obvious ground for appeal. What, what do you think? Well, to be clear, he already has overseen a Trump case, right? And so it's not like he's a kind of random judge who who has a problem. Right, the, the Trump uh, organization exactly. case. Exactly. But, you know, I, I don't think it's, uh, we don't want to fall into the trap of basically trying to undermine the participants in the case, because that is the defense's role, right? And that's what Trump wants. So he's going to point out, uh, things about the judge. He's going to point out things about um, D.A. Bragg, pointing out pe- members of people's family. All of this is to dr- distract from real evidence that may be coming out in the next couple of days. Uh, records, possibly audio. There's a lot that is going to happen, never mind the E. Jean Carroll case, which is a sort of defamation slash possible sexual harassment case that could come to fruition in May. Um, so while I want to talk about the $35, it just feels like there's way more going on and stuff like that sort of muddies the water. I mean, I hear you, but by the same token, there's the question of, 
look, if, the, if she was on the other foot, if it was, uh, you know, Hunter Biden or Joe Biden facing a judge that had given money to even just $10 to stop Democrats, um, would that be grounds for an appeal? Well, we have this idea, right, of judges being impartial and everybody equal before the law. And we're seeing every day various cases in which that's not true. I mean, just the other day, we had a $42 million judicial race in Wisconsin, right? Mm. These are elected positions. It's difficult to separate them from politics, let alone from a deeply political defendant who is trying to, you know, ram into the norms of the law. This is this is fifty dollars in total. Uh, the only actual donations that this judge has made uh, made it in two thousand. Probably did not expect to have President Trump in his courtroom in front of him. So I, I think it's actually kind of funny that that is the only thing that he's done. It was fifty dollars, and no one actually thinks that that swayed any election anywhere. Yeah, I mean, I think there's just no question though that we're dealing with a case. It's first ever a prosecution of a former American president. That I, I think to to suggest that we're in a sort of you know, Caesar's wife must be above suspicion kind of situation is not super far-fetched, right? And I think the burden's on the judge, right, to uh, show that he can carry out this case in a sort of professional and a neutral way. But look, at a point when lawyers or, uh, you know, people who do this for a living are saying, look, this, this is questionable, this is grounds for an appeal, um, it gives Trump an opening, and he's going to take it. He is always going to take it. it, it and if the fall. shoe were on the other foot, there is no question oh, gosh, that yeah. if this were a prosecution of, the Demo- of a Democrat, you would be hearing the exact And that, that's the court of public opinion. But according to the ethics of the American Bar Association, this, this would only get a reprimand. It would not be grounds for recusal. So there are ethics involved, and there are standards in that, but it's the court of a public opinion Jake, that we're discussing. and I'm still blown away. Uh, something horrible happened in Tennessee. Six people were killed, and instead of debating that issue, Republicans down there are expelling members. Yeah, no, it, it's Just, shocking. And the six members, th- three little babies, yes. nine years old, three um, faculty and staff, uh, it's really shocking. Um, thanks to all, and as you know, it's Audie Cornish Thursday. Be sure to check out the newest episode of Audie's podcast, The Assignment with Audie Cornish. It's available wherever you get your podcasts. It's, it's literally one of the best podcasts out there. Please listen to it. We're going to be back in a sec with the breaking news from the Middle East. Israel striking the Gaza Strip. Stay with us. We have some more breaking news for you right now. More strikes are happening north of Gaza in the Middle East. Witnesses report hearing sounds of warplanes, explosions on the ground. This comes after dozens of rockets were fired into Israel from sites in Lebanon earlier today. Elliot Gotkins in Jerusalem. Elliot, tell us more. Jake, it was just over half an hour ago that the IDF put out a statement on its Telegram channel saying that it was currently striking in the Gaza Strip. Uh, Now, we've seen pictures and reports of those explosions, as you say, pictures of the night sky in the Gaza Strip being lit up by uh, these explosions. And it would seem that these are in retaliation for this barrage of uh, rockets that were fired from southern Lebanon towards Israel, some three dozen, the uh, biggest barrage to hit Israel from southern Lebanon since 2006, when there was all-out war between Hezbollah and Israel. This time seems to be different for the simple reason that uh, Israel is pointing the finger not at Hezbollah, which of course is backed by Iran, but at the militants, Palestinian militants of Hamas uh, or Islamic Jihad uh, from southern Lebanon. And it would seem that as a result of those attacks from Palestinian militants in southern Lebanon, rather than striking back 
into Lebanon, at least so far. It is targeting those militant groups in the Gaza Strip, which of course is controlled by Hamas and where Islamic Jihad is also uh, very active. It seems that neither Israel nor Hezbollah wants a major escalation right now. And perhaps this is one way of Israel saying it's retaliated and that it's done enough to answer that barrage of missiles from southern Lebanon into Israel earlier today. Jake? All right, Elliot Gonkin in Jerusalem for us. Thank you so much. CNN's Alex Marquardt is joining us now. He'll be covering this at the top of the hour in the Situation Room. Alex, fast-moving situation in the Middle East right now. It is, Jake, and and a highly combustible situation at that. We will be speaking with Israel's ambassador to Washington, Ambassador Michael Hartzog, about possibly the most dangerous situation uh, in years. This violence coming as the holy months of of the holy holidays of Ramadan and and Passover uh, coincide. Uh, Jake, I do agree with Elliot that it is interesting that these strikes by Israel tonight are taking place in the Gaza Strip and, and not in Lebanon, where we saw those dozens of rockets being fired from earlier today. Uh, Israel making clear that they're blaming Palestinian militants and and not Hezbollah. Major question now, Jake, is whether Hezbollah would get involved with its huge arsenal uh, of missiles. And we could very quickly find ourselves back in a situation like in 2006 when there was all out war. So I will be asking uh, Ambassador Herzog about the latest, where we go from here and what Israel can do to stop this situation from spiraling out of control. All right, Alex Marquardt uh, coming up in the Situation Room. Thank you so much. You can follow me on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter at Jake Tapper. You can tweet the show at The Lead CNN. If you ever miss an episode of the show, you can listen to The Lead wherever you get your podcasts. All two hours just sitting there like a delicious candied Easter egg. We'll be back with more in the Situation Room. I'll see you tomorrow. We all do things our own way. And since the way that each of us sleeps is unique, you need a bed that fits you just the right way. Sleep Number Smart Beds make your sleep experience as individual as you are, using cutting-edge technology to give you effortless, high-quality sleep every night. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, the Queen Sleep Number C4 Smart Bed is only $15.99. Save $300, only for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com.